Amen. You may be seated. Children, enjoy your time back in uh, class with your teachers. As always, be nice to your teacher, especially to Mr. Eric. Be nice to Mr. Eric. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, as we continue in this series, looking up when life is down. If you don't have a Bible, I'd really encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you. And you can find 1 Peter on page 953. Our desire is always that you would open up God's word, that you would be fed by God's word, and that you would be transformed by God's word. Because that is what God's word does for us. Well, if you're like me and you are any kind of a football fan, you probably know Zach Ertz. Zach played for the Philadelphia Eagles up until October of this month when he was, of last, excuse me, of last year when he was traded to the Arizona Cardinals after Max Williams went down with a season-ending injury. He, Zach had played at Stanford and he, before his senior year, he declared for the draft. He was drafted in 2013. He was a, he was an all pro tight end at, at the Eagles. But then on, in, on October 15th, he was traded to the Arizona Cardinals. And all of a sudden, everything changed. In fact, because Zach now was a Cardinal and no longer an Eagle, he had to change his uniform. He went from that ugly green to the red. Beautiful. He could no longer play by his old playbook. He had to take his old playbook, put it away, live by a new playbook. He had a new team, new friends, new uniform. Everything was new. In fact, it would make no sense for Zach to show up at the Cardinals training facility wearing that green or trying to run plays with his old playbook. In fact, he moved from Philadelphia to Phoenix. We're very glad he did. The fact is, because of this new life, the life that he's now called to live has changed. From being an eagle, which really none of us would want, Shane, To this new life as a cardinal, Shane, he's an Eagle fan. You didn't know, probably should have. But it's similar to what we talked about last week. Zach Ertz, the fact that his team had changed, the fact of that change is called the indicative. But now because he's part of a new team, there's certain imperatives, there's certain certain ways he's called to live. The reminder that he's now a cardinal should be, should be responded by how he lives. In fact, if you were to look for a verse that would describe that, really describes us as Christians, I would put up 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The indicative, you're in Christ. The imperative, the old is gone, the new has come. That's what we call a changed life. Take off the old, put on the new. 
It's a verse that really summarizes the text and almost, if you would, the first chapter of 1 Peter. You're a new creation. Your soul's been purified. If you're in Christ, you've been born again to a living hope. And that truth should be evidenced in how you live, in the uniform that you put on, in the way you act day in and day out. In fact, here's the big idea of this message. When you've been redeemed by the gospel of truth, there's a growing obedience to that truth. When you've been redeemed, when you've been transformed by the gospel, the good news of the gospel, there's a growing obedience to that truth. If you put it another way, when you truly comprehend your salvation, it changes how you live. It changes how you respond. It changes how you interact. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. In fact, this passage before us has three indicatives, facts about our salvation, that lead to three responses. And I'm going to break it up that way. But first, let's start by reading the text. Let's start in chapter 1, verse 22. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly with a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, uh, though the living or through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of, the, of grass. The grass withers, and the flower, flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So what I want to do now is I want to put up three, we'll start with one at a time, three reminders with a corresponding response. Or if you will, command. Here's the first one. Since your soul has been purified, love one another. The indicative, the fact, is as a Christian, your soul has been purified. The imperative, the command, is to love one another. Now, Peter's been reminding believers through this first chapter uh, that, that those who have been suffering under the hand of Nero, he's been reminding them to, about the greatness of their salvation. You must remember that you've been saved, that there was a great price that was paid. In fact, if you look at chapter 1, verse 18, you see that. He says, knowing, this understanding, this knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, old team, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, which we sang about earlier, without blemish or spot. He reminds us of the ransom that was paid. And as we talked about last week, there's two implications of ransom. Ransom, one, speaks of the fact that we've, we've been delivered out of our bondage. We've been delivered out of slavery to sin. But also it reminds us that there was a cost. There was a price that was paid. And that is the precious blood of Christ. So Peter now goes on and he says, verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He's saying, remember that your souls were purified. 
At the time that you received Jesus as Lord and Savior, your souls were purified. They were cleansed. That's the indicative. In fact, it's in the tense of a past conversion that continues on to today. At salvation, we were cleansed by the blood of Christ. Jesus' blood has covered us of our sin, and now we are declared righteous before God. See, prior to Christ, we're in sin. We're under God's wrath. So when God sees us, he just sees our sinfulness. Thus, we're under God's wrath. And God, because he's perfect and holy, cannot allow sin into heaven. So we're in a desperate state as human beings. But in God's grace and in his mercy, he sent Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, God the Father sent God the Son into this world to live a sinless life, a life we couldn't live. And he died a sacrificial death on the cross in our place. And in the moment that we turn by faith to Jesus Christ, we are now, what the Bible talks about is, we are imputed with the righteousness of Christ. So now when God sees us, he sees us clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and so he no longer sees our sin. That's called righteousness. But it is in, it, it's an outside-in work. God does it. But then in that moment, because we've been deemed righteous, we now have to start living differently. We've gotten rid of that old, ugly green uniform. We're wearing the cardinal red uniform. So now we have to start living that. That's called our sanctification. That's the process we go through to become less and less like our old life and become more and more like Christ. And so what Peter is saying here, having purified by your souls, by your obedience to the truth. Now that word, that obedience to the truth, what is he talking about there? That obedience to the truth is really the idea of receiving and believing the, the truth. Receiving the fact that Jesus is God, that he was perfect, that he died in my place on the cross, on the cross, and that he was raised on the third day. By receiving and believing that, that's how we have our souls purified. But notice he says, Verse 22, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. What's the truth? It's not your truth and your truth and your truth, but there's one truth. It's the word of God. In fact, Jesus says to the Father in the great high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Speaks of God's revealed word. Now we know that God reveals himself through creation. Psalm 19 tells us that. In fact, that's general revelation that, in fact, Romans chapter 1 says we are without excuse if we don't believe, God, believe, believe in God because he has revealed himself through creation. But then there's special revelation where God has revealed himself through his word. We get to read about him. We get to know him. We get to even understand how we can be saved, how we can have eternal life. God has presented that to us. He's, he's provided that to us. In fact, you see it as we read on. He says, he says having purified your souls uh, by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. And then he says, love one another from a, from a pure heart. And then he says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through, here it is, the living and abiding word of God. Our salvation as a result 
of reading and, 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 and hearing and understanding the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of truth. Romans 10, 17 tells us. So the fact is, we have been saved by the word of God. Notice it says, all flesh is like grass. He quotes here Isaiah 46 through 8. He says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass. Like our flesh is going to wither away. It's going to wither away like grass would wither away or like the flower of grass would wither away. He says, the grass... Grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter's reminding those people that are under incredible persecution, going through really difficult times. He's saying, listen, your souls have been purified by the word of God, by the word of truth. And because of that truth, there's now a new way to live. And that new way of living is by loving. Notice what he says, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly with a pure heart. Evidence of our eternal salvation is our love for one another. And there's, there's really two aspects to love here. We see it in the fact that he uses the word love twice. One is the Greek word phileo, which is where we get it's Philadelphia love. It's brotherly love. Zach got away from that. But it, it's, it's this phileo love. It's brotherly love. We're called to love one another. This, this outworking of our faith is that we love one another. We love the brothers and sisters in Christ. But then he gives us a command. There's an imperative. He says in verse 22, he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So first of all, there's supposed to be this sincere, this pure, genuine, this lacking of pretense love for one another. So it's like when we're hanging out with one another, there's, there's no pretense. It's real. So we care about you. But secondly, he challenges them. He commands them because of their faith in Christ. They're to love one another from a pure heart. In fact, John tells us in 1 John 4.9, he says, we love because he first loved us. It is the love that has been given to us by Christ, unconditional love, that now we are to take that and unconditionally love one another. That second love is the, the Greek word agape, which is unconditional love. It's the John 3.16 love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Listen, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing that we did that that we deserve salvation. But God, because he's a, he's a gracious, loving God, he bestowed his love upon us. And now, as believers in Jesus Christ, evidence of our salvation is that we actually would love one another earnestly. No, notice what it says there. Earnestly, it's fervently, deeply. In fact, it's a word used in athletics where, we, where, where you strive for the end. You, you exert yourself with, with all the energy that is within you. The fact is, if we don't have love for one another, 1 John 2.11 tells us, then we don't have the love of Christ in us. In fact, look what, look what, John, or look what Jesus says to his disciples after the, his, he, he instituted the, the Lord's Supper. He washed the feet of the disciples. And then he says this in, in uh, 
John 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. It's agape. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people, are, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How do I know if I'm really in Christ? Well, it tells me. There's a sincere love for the brothers. But now, because of what Christ has done for me, loving me unconditionally, I now am called to love others unconditionally. Now, let me ask you, is that always easy? Okay, we can be honest in church. It's okay. I mean, you can do this. No, it's not always easy. No, it's not always easy. Sometimes it's difficult. That's why we're called to walk in the spirit so we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's why we need to be reminded that our souls have been purified. We need to remember who we are in Christ. It's when we go back to the act of our salvation, when we go back to what Christ did on the cross, we realize, man, I, I need to start living more and more like my Savior who loved me. I need to start acting more like him and less like what I used to be like. When we love others unconditionally, we're not only evidencing our salvation, but we're reflecting Christ. People can see Christ in us. And notice it's to the brothers. So what are some practical ways we can live this out? What are some practical ways we can love one another? Well, in churches, I mean, we kind of try to make it a little bit easier for you. One of the reasons we spend a lot of effort and money to, to create that playground area and the roll-up garage door and the rainbow donuts and the, and the press coffees. We want people to hang out, encourage one another, love one another, be there for one another. I mean, go to lunch with somebody. We got a bunch of college students. I, I imagine one or two of them would love somebody to take them to lunch. I mean, you can only eat Chick-fil-A so many days in a row unless you're David Gannon. And then you can eat it every day, all day. Except for Sunday. Don't be a lifo. Don't be a lifo. How many of you ever had an accounting class? You know, you learn first in, first out, FIFO, inventory. You have life, lilo, last in, last out. But lifo is last in, first out. You, you get in. You, you get into church late, and then when it's over, man, boom, you're gone. And where are you loving one another with a sincere love? And, 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 and don't be a lifo. This doesn't happen just by, like, we're just going we're gonna, to we're gonna team up as a family, and we're going to be as a family, and we're not going to ever hang out with anybody else. Let me ask you, are you living this truth out? He says, since your soul has been purified, love one another. The reminder is your soul has been purified. The, the response is to love one another. Well, secondly, since you've been born again, turn from your sin. Since you've been born again, turn from your sin. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, so. Now, so is a conjunction. 
It's also translated therefore. Remember we talked about a couple weeks ago, if there's a therefore, you need to go back and see what it is there for. He's saying as a result of your salvation, he's going back and, 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 uh, and, and really speaking about verse 23. He says, since you've been born again, verse, chapter 2, verse 1, therefore put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. He's saying you've been born again. It's in the perfect passive participle. What does that mean? It's a one-time event that was passive. You didn't do it. It was something that was bestowed upon you. That's what Christ does for us. But it's an ongoing, you've been born again, but you're still born again. Once you're born again, you're always born again. It's kind of like when we're born of our mothers, it's a one-time event. But it has long-term implications. It's no different. He says, verse 23, since you've been born again, it takes us back to chapter 1, verse 3, where he says, he says, let me just read it. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Notice, he has caused us, passive tense, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Over and over and over again, Peter is writing to those that are struggling, that are suffering, that are going through dark days. He says, remember that you've been born again. You've been born again to a living hope. And as a result of it, your response is to turn away from your sins. See, turning from your sins is a response. Turning is also known as repentance. It's a response to the salvation that we've received. Once we become believers in Jesus Christ, once we've been brought out of darkness and into God's marvelous light, our affections change. The direction of our life change. In fact, if you are who you you were, then you ain't. If there's been no change, then has there been a change? So Peter commands us, he says, he says, put away your sins. And he lists five different attitudes and uh, uh, it's different sins of attitude and speech in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, put away, it means to, to get rid of, to, to cast off. It's like you're wearing a warm winter coat in the middle of a Phoenix summer. What do you want to do with that coat? Like, you want to get it off as fast as you can. That's, that's the implication here. Like, when you truly understand, like, this is what Christ has done for me. This is the price that was paid for me. Like, I got to get rid of these old clothes. I got to tear them off. I can't live like this anymore. He deserves more than than that from me. In fact, the tense here of putting away is to put it away and keep putting it away. For some of you, that's weekly. For some of you, that's daily. And for some of us... That's like moment by moment. It's like I got, I got to just, I got to keep turning for my sin. I got to walk in the spirit so I don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. But notice, notice these, these attitudes and these, these areas of speech where he says to, to throw off. And now, what's interesting is Peter doesn't go into the biggies. You know, the biggies like murder and adultery. I mean, he he, he goes into what Jerry Bridges would consider respectable sins. These are the sins that like, okay, if I'm in a small group and say, what are you struggling with? Well, I struggle with envy. Oh, I got you on the back there. 
But, but, but there's something more here that's going on. He's, he's really challenging us to the core of our hearts. He, he, he says, first of all, throw off all malice. It's the desire to inflict pain, to harm someone or to injure another. It's holding grudges. You just can't let go. You can't let it go. He says, throw it off. In fact, do you ever think, man, I just hope that person gets what they have coming. Throw it off. Secondly, he talks about deceit. It's deliberate dishonesty. It's speaking with ulterior motives. It's, it's not speaking the full truth, especially with, with a motive for personal gain. The fact is, in fact, we're all going to sin. We're all going to have moments of deceit. If we, like, if we never say that we lie or have sin, we're lying. But the fact is, that's where we have a gracious, loving God who says, if you confess your sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We are, we are made clean once again. It's a process that we get to live out in our sanctification. In fact, listen to what Ephesians 4.25 says. Therefore, having put away falsehood, not only do we put off the falsehood, but we put on speaking truth with our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Put off all malice and deceit. Third, put off hypocrisy. That's a word used for an actor. A person who has a part in a stage drama. It's acting the part. While hiding your real motives. Now there's a danger here when talking about hypocrisy. Because it would be easy to say, you know, I just don't feel like going to church. And I feel like if I go to church, I'm just being a hypocrite. Or I don't feel like going to small group. Because if I go, I'm just going to be a hypocrite. No, that's where you need to go and get the word of God in you. So you can, you can start growing closer and closer to the Christ. It's like me saying, honey, I'm not taking out the trash because I don't feel like it. And if I take it out, I'm just going to be a hypocrite. I'm just a hypocrite. I mean, think of the mindset of that. How well do you think that will go in our home? <laughs> take out the trash. No, I, I actually take out the trash because let me tell you, I don't want the smell in the morning. There's nothing worse to me than walking into the kitchen and it's like, oh, I forgot to take out the trash last night. And there's the smell. I, I'm not a hypocrite. By, there's certain things because now because of who we are in Christ or who I am as a husband or my responsibility, there's certain things we do. That's what he's talking about here. Throw away all hypocrisy. Fourth, envy. What's envy? It's a desire to possess what others have. It's a, re it's a resentful discontent. You might envy somebody's popularity or their abilities. or like I, like, I wish I could sing like Chris. I can't sing like Chris. Never will be able to sing like Chris. But that's okay. Because I make a joyful noise. And that's why I sit in the front seat so nobody has to hear me. And that's why everybody on our worship team wears their earbuds. Because they don't have to listen to me. It, it's, it's, it, you know, we might be envious of somebody's home or their family or their friendships. It's a discontentedness. A feeling of displeasure when you hear the success of others. And last, he says, throw off all slander. It's to speak against or to put someone down especially when they're not in the room. 
Listen, if you've been born again, and I pray that you have because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then put away, turn it from your sin, which now leads us to the third remembrance and response. And that is this. Since you've tasted that the Lord is good, long for pure spiritual milk. Look at, look at chapter 2 again. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. When we taste and see that the Lord is good, our desire is to turn from our sin. Now, what Peter's doing is he's quoting a very familiar verse to the, to the people that he's talking to. He's, he's quoting Psalm 34, 8, which says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And if you've ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you know how good that goodness is. The problem is sin leaves a bad taste in our mouth. And it keeps us from a desire for God's word and for spiritual growth. I mean, I, this just came to me, and this is probably not wise to do. But did anybody see the movie Big? Where Tom Hanks is, you know, he's, 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 he's got like a 10-year-old, but in a, in, a, in a man's body. And he walks into this buffet or whatever, and all of a sudden there's this caviar. And he, he puts this caviar in his mouth, and, he's, he's, and it's just like it starts coming out because he realizes how bad it tastes to him. And that, that's what sin should do to us. It's like when we taste something really good, we want more. <laughs> we want more. The more we long for, for, for the goodness of God, the more we drink it in, the more we grow, the more we grow, the more we desire his word. And as we grow, we, we become more like Christ. Now, when you look at verse 2, it's not saying that they were new Christians. In fact, some of them may have been Christians for up to 30 years. But notice what he says. He says, like newborn infants, as if you were a newborn babe, he says, long for, long for the, the spiritual milk, which is God's word. Long for it. Crave it. In fact, it's in the imperative. It's a command. Long for God's word. In fact, that's why every week we open up God's word. Every week we, we read God's word. That's why in our children's ministry, they open up God's word. In our student ministry, we'll open up God's word. Our young adults, they open up God's word. Our small groups, they open up God's word. Every Thursday, the women open up God's word. Every Friday morning, the men open up God's word. My guess is our spiritual gifts class, they will be opening up God's word every single We want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. We, we want you to see enough of God's word that you go home and you want more of it. That it's not just like getting one meal one time a week. I mean, Pam gives me a hard time. Most people eat three meals a day. I kind of go for five. But shouldn't that be the way we desire the milk of God's word? Listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 15. He says, your words were found and I ate them. Why? 
And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. See, when we are called by his name, we desire to be fed by his word. We want to know him more. Again, it goes back to, to, to uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, where it says that Jesus called his disciples to himself. Why? So they could be with him. See, when we open up God's word, it's our opportunity to be with Jesus, to be with him, to learn about him, to learn from him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. See, now amid all these imperatives and indicatives, there's a key theme. And I could probably do six messages, if not more, on this. And the key is the word of God. You see it over and over again. Peter gives us multiple aspects of God's word here. In fact, I looked at these and I thought, these are reasons why we should read God's word. Understanding what he's saying here. And I believe it was an encouragement to those that were off, going through persecution, he's directing them back to God's word. Let me give you seven reasons you should read God's word based on this text. First, it's truth. It's truth. Notice what he says again in verse 20, chapter 20, verse 22 of chapter 1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, it's without error. God's word is sufficient. It's inerrant. It, 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 it has all we need for life and godliness. But not only is it truth, it's regenerating. It regenerates. Look at verse 23. Since you've been born again, it's just this new birth. It's faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Go back and read John 3 this week and see how Jesus speaks about the regenerating value of God's word. Third. It's imperishable, meaning it doesn't perish or rot. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 21, 33, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It's imperishable. It's unlike, as he quotes from Isaiah 46 through 8, he says, all flesh is like grass, perishable. And all its glory like the flower of grass, perishable. And then he drives that home. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of God, the word of the Lord remains forever. God's word is eternal. It's imperishable. Fourth, we see it's good news. It's good news. Look. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. The good news in light of the bad news, the bad news. Apart from Christ, we're facing a Christless eternity, a godless eternity in hell. But because of what Christ did for us on the cross, it is good news. We can have eternal life as a result of our faith in Jesus Christ. It's good news. And and fifth, it's transforming. We saw that in, in chapter 2, verse 1. It speaks the effects of God's word, that there's an internal change that affects how we act towards others. If your faith hasn't changed you, your faith hasn't saved you. 
Sixth, it's nourishing. It's nourishment. It's what causes us to grow. It keeps us from being famished. It sustains our spiritual life. You're going to hear me all the time talk about it's important to be in the word. Here's reasons. Why? It's it's not because you just got to have this list of to-dos and don'ts. It's good for your soul. It's satisfying. That's the seventh. It's satisfying. Notice what it says in verse 3. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. See, when you drink of God's word, not only are you being nourished, but you're being satisfied. I mean, compare spending time in God's word versus scrolling on social media or binging on Netflix or even watching football. There's, There's no real nourishment. In fact, you could probably get up and think, What a waste of time. Listen to what David says in Psalm 42. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. This is where we become satisfied as we drink of God's word. fact is, when you've been redeemed by the gospel of truth, there's a growing obedience to that truth because you're changing. And, and like Zach Ertz, when he became a cardinal, it was time for him to put on a new uniform, play by a new playbook, be part of a new team, live it out. But for us, evidence of our saving faith is you love one another. Let me put this up, that last slide up. Three responses to this great salvation that God has provided us. We love one another. Brotherly love. Unconditional love. Jesus says, by your fruits, by their fruits you will know them. But but secondly, you turn from your sin, that's repentance. There's a turning from our sin. We become less and less like our old life and more and more like Christ. If there's not a turning, if there's not a change, hear me on this. Your greatest issue is not the consequences of your sin. Your greatest issue is, are you going to spend eternity in heaven? Your salvation. And finally, long for pure spiritual milk so that you can grow. 